Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. All right. The title of my message this morning is one word. Salt. I'm about to say salt. I was reading a story by uh, that Josh McDowell related that he said was was one of these executive uh, headhunters shared with him. You know, these guys that go around and and look for and hire corporate executives for for big, uh, you know, Fortune 500 companies. And uh, he related the story to Josh McDowell that he had a practice when he he was uh, interviewing a prospective new CEO. And he would uh, go to their place, you know, and, get them all disarmed and talk to them about football and, you know, their kids and the weather. And then when they least expect it, he'd stare them straight in the eye and say, what's your purpose in life? And he said, you'd be amazed at how many top-level executives would completely fall apart at that question. Couldn't answer. And he shared with Mr. McDowell that he said, I had this one individual and he says, I had him all disarmed. He said, I even had my feet on his desk propped up. You know, we're just uh, chewing the fat. And he says, I dropped my feet to the floor and leaned forward, looked him in the eye and said, what's your purpose in life, Bob? And he said, he didn't even blink. Answer me right back. To go to heaven and take as many people with me as I can. And he said, for the first time in my career, I was speechless. Well, you don't have to wonder what your purpose is. Jesus makes it real clear. So I want you to go with me to Matthew chapter 5 this morning. Be a real familiar area of scripture. I'm going to read it from a couple of translations. We don't always use the Bible Paul used, you know, the King James. I'll have it on the screen, I think. Matthew chapter 5. I'm going to start in verse 13, read through verse 16. Then I'm going to switch and read it to you out of the message Bible. Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. You are the salt of the earth. Turn to your neighbor and just tell them that. You are the salt of the earth. But, see, I teach the students at Rhema, pay attention to the butts of the Bible. There's some big ones in there. But. If the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. And he says it a different way. Verse 14, you are the light of the world. Tell your other neighbor, you are the light of the world. I just remember, I didn't recognize you, Emily. Baby, she's pregnant. Emily here. Yeah, you you stand up. I blacked out. Stand up now. Uh, yeah, I got a baby on the way. Miracle baby. Give her a hand. Yeah. Yeah, I'm slightly ADD, so we love to just go in direction anytime. So <laughs> shut up. Yeah. I mean you really really should have put them on the back row. I just I don't know who's I don't know whose responsibility this was, but yeah. I'd rather be heckled from the back. Yeah. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. 
nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light <clears throat> to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. Everybody say good works. Glorify your Father in heaven. Now I like the message translation here of this. And uh, my wife and I had the priceless privilege to spend three days back in 2010 or 09, somewhere back in there, with Eugene Peterson in uh, Colorado in the Rockies. And I'm telling you what, it changed my life forever. Um, and uh, he would call himself, he's in heaven now, he would call himself Presbycostal. But, you know, he's the one who wrote the, translated the Message Bible. And they call it a paraphrase, but I'm here to tell you, I talked to him, he thinks it's a translation. <laughs> Not a paraphrase. <laughs> Fact of the matter is, here in this fifth chapter, uh, the Beatitudes, you know, blessed are, blessed are, blessed are. He wanted to translate that lucky. He says the best definition. He says, holy luck. And the Bible publisher says, you can't do that. You'll never sell a Bible. You <laughs> he put lucky in there, so he did. But this is his rendering here in the Message Bible of this same scripture. It really makes it more clear to me. Let me tell you why you are here. I don't know about you, but that sounds like purpose to me. Let me tell you why you're here. It's not to be a boy or a girl or a squirrel. It's you have a purpose. Let me tell you why you're here. You are here to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors of this earth. Man, I like that. If you lose your saltiness, how will people taste godliness? Are you already seeing Besides purpose here, there's a responsibility attached to this. You've lost your usefulness. I want you to catch that. We're, we're going to talk about it. You've lost your usefulness. He didn't say he's going to hell. You with me? Come on. I'm going to tell the students, you don't talk back to me. You don't answer my questions, I won't answer yours. Right? You've lost your usefulness and will end up in the garbage. Here's another way to put it. If you're here to be light, bringing out the God colors in the world, God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? <laughs> I'm putting you on a light stand. Now that I've put you there on a hilltop, on a light stand, shine. He's put anchor faith here to shine in Valdosta, to go public, not to be hid out there going to equipment behind the storage facility. You got to be looking to find that place. Glory to God. <laughs> Keep open house. Be generous with your lives. Be opening up to others. You'll prompt people to open up with God this generous Father in heaven. You know, the Bible calls believers a lot of things. You ever thought about it? I mean, we're called believers, right? We're called Christians because we're supposed to be Christ-like, right? Um, Bible calls us sons. 
And the Bible calls us the bride of Christ. <laughs> and the Bible calls us sheep. You know. I use a lot of hog and cow analogies. I'm glad God didn't call us a hog or a cow. But a sheep. But as I've thought about it over the years, and you'll see it right away, I think, all of those terms that reference you and I as a believer all have something to do with our relationship to God, how we relate to the master. I'm a believer. I am like Christ. I am his son. We, the church, are the bride of Christ. Uh, we are his sheep. It's all about that vertical relationship. But salt, Jesus called us salt in this fifth chapter of Matthew. And that's an altogether different application of a moniker. Salt tells me something about how I'm supposed to relate to the world. As a son of God, as part of the bride of Christ, as a Christian, as a believer, as one of his sheep in the world, I'm salt. And Jesus is reminding us here in these passages that we have both the opportunity and the responsibility, everybody say responsibility, to be an influence in the world. You see, we're, we're, and we're no different in the church than, than the world in this regard. Everybody's way more concerned with their liberties than they are their responsibilities. Especially in the good old U.S. of A., right? Land of the free, home of the brave. I'll do what I want. Thank you very much. Unless Fauci wants me to wear a mask. No, think about it. We, you see that in our culture. But how many of you know, even, even in society, it's the same really as that as it is in the kingdom of God. If we don't steward our responsibilities, you know what's going to happen to your liberties? You're going to lose them. And so I find it interesting here, and I, I said this yesterday, I say it all the time to the students. When we come into the kingdom of God, when we accept Jesus as our personal Savior, it ceases to be about you. You're not always the focus of ministry. You're... you're should be being maturing, and I, I trust this is a place, I know it is, where you can do so, matured, right? Built, equipped to be a vessel for ministry, not always the focus of it. Hmm? But how many know when people ain't the focus, they'll leave? Come on, smile on your brother this morning. Yeah, because we want what we want, and, and we've been, you know, especially... It seems like the fellow we go raising kids, you know, they all, they're all some kind of protege, and they're special, and we give them a participation trophy as soon as they're born. You made it. You're a winner. <laughs> now, you may be a loser, but, you know, we can't. <laughs> but no, because we're so concerned with our rights and our liberties. We're, how many of you ever seen that movie, Finding Nemo? Come on, don't be ashamed. <laughs> you remember them seagulls? Mine, 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 mine. Remember? That's the way, that's the way most of us are. Mine. No, it's not about what's yours. It's not about your liberties. It's about him and them. Fact is, Paul said something along that line in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 
He said this, verse 23 and 24, all things are lawful for me. That's a pretty big statement, isn't it? In other words, Paul's saying, you know what? I got a lot of liberty. See? But he says, not all things are helpful. Yeah. Like the third pork chop. <laughs> the second half dozen of Krispy Kreme and the hot lights on. Not helpful. All things are lawful for me, Paul says, but not all things edify. Let no one seek his own, but each one the other's well-being. Paul's saying, you know what? The grace and the mercy of God is way wider, way deeper. It's fathomless. It's bigger than you can comprehend. I have much liberty. But not everything is good for me. But especially, most especially, the point there is it's not good for you. In other words, Paul says this, if I put it in my words. There's a whole lot of stuff I can do that won't affect my salvation, but it'll affect yours. And for that reason, that reason alone, I don't do it. Responsibility. Jesus is reminding us of that here. And these verses, you know well, I mentioned a second ago, but they come, they follow what we call the Beatitudes. Beatus, Latin, blessing. The Beatitudes. And it's where Jesus, in the Beatitudes, in essence, he gives the qualities that ought to be present in every citizen of the kingdom of God. I, 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 I describe it this way. If you open that, those chapters there, it's, it's several chapters. It's a lot of red in your Bible. That Sermon on the Mount, we call it. So much for short preaching. Yeah. But I call it the Constitution of the kingdom of God. And the Beatitudes is the Bill of Rights. In essence, that's what Jesus was doing. He was reconstituting Israel around himself. It's a new thing here. And so it's in this light that we find out how kingdom citizens are supposed to conduct themselves in the kingdom. Because I mean, you know, we're, we're living here, but we're up somewhere else. Aliens. But when we possess these characteristics what Jesus wants us to understand is we become a positive influence upon the world for the kingdom of God, just like salt and just like light. And you have to, when I read things that Jesus said, I'm, I have to remind myself he's smarter than me. I can tell somebody that was, that was revelation. He's smarter than you too. But even in the incarnation of Christ, this God-man walking in the earth that just kind of boggles our ability to comprehend what that even is, I still believe he possessed all knowledge. And I don't think Jesus used language as flippantly as we do. I mean, we waste a lot of words. I mean, I got more weapons for talking too much than anything else, I think. Right? He didn't know he was he was quenching he was he was quenching my spirit. He was putting he was hindering my purpose. I was built to talk. <laughs> it's my purpose in life. If I ever wash you out as a preacher, I'm gonna hit the redneck comedy tour. All because all my stories are true. 
But no, think about that. Jesus uses this word, and Jesus' words are weighty. And so in my imagination, the way I think about things like this, I believe that Jesus is conscious when he uses that word of everything it means, salt, and of every where it's ever been used in the Bible or will be used in the Bible as a metaphor, as a type, as a shadow, as an application. And all of that is wrapped up in what he's trying to communicate to the hearers that day and to us thousands of years later. And so let's do a quick drive-by. Can we do that? Bible drive-by, not one with bullets. And I want to use the voice translation. Anybody ever read the voice? Oh, God help y'all. You the only one? You need to teach your people. <laughs> I love it. It came out in 2012. You got to be careful with some of these Bible translations, but, but I like this one. It, it has a good intended purpose. They wrote it with the intention. They translated it with the intention uh, of drawing the reader into the story. And when I read, especially the Gospels or the Old Testament stories that sometimes you get a little lost in the King James, my imagination is set on fire and I'm there. Right, and so I'm going to pull some. Were you able to get it on for the screen? Yeah, okay, y'all are amazing. So here's some things. I want to give you a list of things here real quick on my way to my actual point. <laughs> Got a list before the list, you know. And for the list people, they're excited for the rest of the year. You want to shoot yourself right now. But the scriptures, a lot of places, how it refers to salt, and uh, and just want to pull. Well, some of this will help us understand where I want to go with this. In Leviticus chapter 2, verse 13, like I said, he's be on the screen so it'll help you. It says this, you must salt every grain offering you bring so that the salt of your covenant with God will not be missing. You will season all of the offering, not just the grain ones, the all, all, right? You will season all of the offerings you present with salt. I find that interesting. And so I like to say the first thing about salt, it's a covenant symbol. We're in covenant with God. And even for those Jews in the old, under the old covenant, when they brought their offerings, God said, you know what? Put some salt on it. How many in here besides Brother Tony likes salt? Come on. Glory to God. You know, I told you pastor's coming here in a couple of weeks. He looked at me across the table one day and said, I ain't trying to tell you how to run your life, but you eat too much salt. <laughs> I said, thank you. How about passing it over? <laughs> but you know I, I found like I'm, I'm pretty good company here and I know I'm stretching the scriptures a little bit but it's okay <laughs> God's telling these Jews you know what when you bring me an offering I don't even want it if you don't put some salt on it huh? put some salt on the grain put some salt on the meat huh? I want salt on my food well you know God's not literally eating it but it was a symbol of their covenant and then uh, this is an interesting story in 2 Kings chapter 2 with Elisha in, uh, in verse 20 and 21. Fetch me a new bowl. They had some water that was putrid and poison. Fetch me a new bowl and pour some salt in it. And so they brought him the bowl with the salt he had requested. He then walked outside to the water spring, tossed some salt into it, and, and this is eternal's message. This water is now entirely pure. It will no longer bring death or cause the earth to be barren. So salt is a type, a metaphor in Scripture of a healing or a cleansing aid. Healing or a cleansing aid. Well, how many know, literally speaking, if you got water that's poison, poured salt in it, ain't going to do nothing. 
huh? I mean, you you liable to get catch some kind of something drinking out of the ocean. And there's plenty of salt in there. So it's not that, right? This was supernatural. But it was he had him use salt on purpose because in God's eyes it means something. Healing and cleansing. And then I love this in Job, chapter six. And I'm going to preface it this a stimulant to appetite. Hmm? Job said, if the voice just makes this so good. If I were served tasteless mush, he must have been in a nursing home or the hospital or something. How could I eat it with at least adding salt? Or is there even any sense of taste in the slime of a plant? Job didn't like salad. I, I refuse to eat it, and I gag at the thought of it. This vile food sickens me. <laughs> I'm right with you, Job. I don't care what it is. Got to have some salt, uh, especially vegetables. Glory to God. Stimulant to appetite. Let these kind of hang in the back of your mind. It's a little blind here, but I want to bring these in where it's mentioned in other gospels. That we'll, we'll say this. It's a preventative of decay. Salt. Luke renders this in Luke chapter 14. Don't be like salt that's lost its taste. How can its saltiness be restored? Flavorless salt is absolutely worthless. You can't even use it as fertilizer. So it is worth less than manure. <laughs> yeah, chicken manure is pretty expensive right now because fertilizer is high anyway. Uh, don't just listen to my words, Jesus said. Here, get the deeper meaning. Or what Jesus said, I'm telling you something deeper here. And I want you to get it. And then I like what Mark says about it. And I think uh, that Jesus said, and I'll call it here a promoter of peace. I mean, I think we need some of that in our world. Church 2. Mark's gospel, chapter 9, verse 50. Salt is a good thing. Everybody said amen. <laughs> but if it's lost its zest, how can it be seasoned again? You should have salt within yourselves and watch this, and peace with one another. And so he's tying that as a type, the metaphor there, it's a promoter of peace. A couple more. Stimulant to our testimony. Matthew 5, 13, we read it. You, beloved, are to be the salt of the earth. And then here's one further on in Paul's writings, in Colossians chapter 4, verse 6, I like Say it this way, grace or gracefulness. Grace or gracefulness. It's one thing I'm always uh, asking the Lord for because uh, without him I don't have much. Hmm? Grace or gracefulness. Colossians chapter 4 verse 6, Paul said here in the voice, when you speak the word, speak it gracefully. Well, what's that look like, Paul? As if seasoned with salt. Don't hit somebody upside the head with the Bible and expect them to be happy about it. Huh? Graceful. As if seasoned with salt. So you know how to respond to everyone rightly. Salt. Well, we got one understanding, but put yourself in time and place with Jesus. Salt was valuable, very valuable in that ancient world. Tremendously valuable. So valuable that the Roman legions were paid their wages 
in salt. Dylan, aren't you glad the soldiers aren't paid in salt now? Salt. It was that precious of a commodity in this ancient world. The time Jesus makes this statement. You think he didn't know that? So he's also telling us something about our value. Hmm? And that payment that the Roman legion, the soldiers would get, they called it the salarium. And um, that's where the expression that we you probably have heard was something you say, well, they're not worth their salt. You ever heard that? That's where it comes from. You know, Daddy and Uncle Bobby would say it this way. Uh, you know, at the end of the week, you just need to back up to get your check. <laughs> right? Huh? I've heard Daddy, I've heard them both say that before. He ought to just back up at the end of the week and get his check. Why? Don't even look the man in the eye because you didn't earn it. You don't deserve it. <laughs> You're not worth your salt. And that word there is where our English word salary comes from. Isn't that interesting? You think Jesus didn't know all this? But this salt in the ancient world, it was possible, it was actually possible for it to lose its flavor because the salt then is different than what we have now where it's a chemical compound, you know, and it's been gussied up, and, you know, worked with sodium chloride and all that stuff, you know. This salt would have been mined from the salt cliffs along the Dead Sea or either evaporated from the waters of the Dead Sea. And so either way, it was impossible for it not to have a certain amount of mineral and organic matter in it. They didn't have the ability to refine things like we do today. And so as a result of that being present, if this salt was exposed to the elements, or if it touched the ground, uh, it would it would lose its saltiness. That matter that was in there then would pollute it. And so then that, in essence, that tasteless salt, you know, Daddy's always, you know, telling me, I don't want to taste salt. I don't know what you want to put it on there for if you don't want to taste it. That's the purpose. <laughs> uh. But that tasteless salt would lose all of its qualities that made it so sought after and so valuable. And they would call, they would say it's lost its savor. Well, they would take it then and literally, exactly what Jesus says here, they would take it and throw it in the footpaths and they'd use it much like we might use gravel or sand and throw it in the footpaths to walk on. It would literally, as Jesus said, be trampled underfoot by me. And so I want to propose to you this morning, I want you to consider this, that it is possible for Christians to lose their saltiness. And that happens when we, just like ancient salt, come into contact with the world. Hello? we become contaminated by the world. We get to be more like the world than we are like Jesus. 
and we've come to a place that we've actually, we actually have lost the thing that sets us apart. Hello. And makes us valuable for his kingdom purposes. Here again, I'm, I'm, I'm going to make myself clear this morning. I didn't say he was going to hell. Jesus didn't say he was going to hell. He just said, you're not much use to me while you're here. Hmm? In other words, when we lose our saltiness, we lose our influence. And we lose our usefulness in the kingdom. And when we talk about this, we're talking about our relationship here to the world, right? Around us, your world. But that, your, that saltiness, that your relationship to the world is supposed to be an outflow of your relationship with God. Because you're supposed to be a vessel. And even in the natural, think. let's expand this metaphor a little bit. Even in the natural, you know, we put salt in containers, don't we? To protect it. And to what? To keep it useful. I mean, I like the beach. I spend at least three weeks a year down there. Glory to God. And if anybody had me preach close to there, it's even better. So I'm adding some days this year. Because them beach people need Jesus. <laughs> right now. <laughs> I'm going to go gather up. We're going, we're going to Myrtle Beach, right, in September? Yeah, hallelujah. Anyway, I like to eat outside. My mother said this morning she despises eating outside. But when I go to the beach, I want to see the water. I want to hear the hear the water. If they, I mean, if it ain't, you know, too hot, I want to eat outside. But how I many of you know salt shakers at the outside restaurants is a problem, huh? Because I mean, I'll I'll almost lose my salvation over a clumped up salt shaker. <laughs> you know, bring me one that works, especially them grinders, and it's all clumped up. It's useless. It's throw it in the ocean. But, you know, I got to thinking, we're like that container, too. We're the salt, but you know, there's a, you can see the flip side of this. We're the container. Our saltiness, here again, comes from our relationship with Jesus, but it's up to us to protect it. Just like that salt shaker, salt box, is supposed to protect that salt. Because we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, right? But you need to understand this. You can't produce righteousness. Jesus did that for you. We are made the righteousness of God in Christ. So I can't produce that. Jesus produced it. But it's up to me. It's my responsibility your responsibility to protect it. Can you go there with me? And so, salt of the earth and the light of the world. Well, here's another place we miss it. We want to be the light to the church. Right? I mean, we're real shiny in here. What about out there? 
and we're like we're like salt to the salt pile. You know, I pastored up north. We got a lot of snow. We got them salt domes up there. That's like most churches. Just a bunch of piled up salt. You got to get it out of there if it's going to be of any use. Hmm? So you come here to get salty. And so, just like salt, Jesus wants us sprinkled all over. And so none of my main point. <laughs> I'm waiting for the bell to ring, but there's not one here this morning, so I don't know what to do. Yeah. I'll give you a list of things here. Just like salt, our lives should penetrate. Penetrate. I mean, salt will penetrate and infiltrate whatever it touches. It pre its presence cannot be ignored. How many of you like to put salt on your chips at the Mexican restaurant. Come on. Glory to God. And if you don't want salt on your chips, get your own basket. <laughs> You're eating with me because I'm salting them. And, well, you know, you want to try, I'll just salt these on this end. I mean, it don't work that way. If you put some salt in there, it's getting everywhere. Right? <laughs> well, in Acts chapter 8, verse 4, it says, Therefore, those who were scattered, everybody say scattered, went every, everywhere preaching the word. And in Acts chapter 17, the last half of that verse, it says those who have turned the world upside down have come here too. Anchor Faith Church is here to turn Valdosta upside down. We're called, you know, it's, it's cliche, but it's the truth. We're called to be in the world and not of the world. I like to say it this way, Jesus was skin on in the earth, in the world, in our culture, not just at church. I mean, we are called as individuals into different varied sectors of society. And as a church, we may, we're parts of the whole, so we're called into every sector of society, not just the church. Because think about it, just, I mean, where is light most useful? In the dark, right? <laughs> I don't need it if it's not dark, I mean, right? And salt is the most useful when it penetrates, when it's scattered, when it's put on something. I'm going to say something here, and you need to make sure you understand me, or you'll go out of here and say something I didn't say. You with me? All right. I need you to tomorrow to quit your job and embrace your calling. See, we separate everything into sacred and secular. My time, God's time. Church time, my time. Hmm. Well, there ain't no such thing. If you're a believer, if you're a Christian, if you're salt, it's all sacred time. And, you know, our people will complain, you know, especially when I was pastoring, you hear this, and you hear out of Raymond students now. I mean, don't be crying to me. I sold beer at night while I was a student at Quick Trip. Glory to God. <laughs> yeah. No, it'd be crying. Well, you know, bro, Tony's job where I work is just, I'm around all these sinners, and they cuss and tell dirty jokes, and it's just so horrible. It's people so mean. Won't you pray with me? I'll get a new job. I'm like, no. 
You're exactly where you're supposed to be. If you're not there, who's going to be there? If you're not light there, who will be? If you're not salt there, who will be? Quit your crying. Quit your job and your mind and embrace your calling. God's got me here for a purpose. I'm going to shine. I'm going to be salty. I worked at the landfill for a little while up here in Taylor County. About a year. I mean, this is the darkest transition in ministry I've ever made. Glory to God. But they was hiring, and, you know, I can drive anything that moves. So, you know, they're running bulldozers and junk. And so, you know, I, uh, I, uh, I, would, I would confess this. I'd talk to the Lord. I'd say, Lord, I read in the, in the Bible where you raised Paul. You said you raised the needy up out of the dunghill. Well, if you can raise the needy up out of the dunghill, surely you can get me out of the landfill. But, you know, I, I mean, I was probably the only one, and they figured out real quick I was a preacher. And so they called me Rev. And uh, I never did figure out where they get people get stuff like this. But, you know, there was some new young hires there one day, and they, we gathered up waiting loading some trucks and, and started telling dirty jokes. And the uh, older guy stepped up to the middle and said, yeah, stop, stop, don't, don't be talking like that in front of the Rev. He might put a curse on you or something. <laughs> Uh, no, it doesn't exactly work that way. <laughs> no, but wherever you are, be light, be salt. Don't cry about it. I mean, some of you's called into politics. My God, we need salt there. Yeah, some gasoline too. Burn some stuff down. Start over. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! <laughs> right? Hallelujah! Have a Holy Ghost Winnie roast. Get the. <laughs> We got to go. Y'all distracting me. Second thing I, that, that just like salt, our life is supposed to purify. Purify. Salt is a cleansing agent. It purifies. It kills infection. It promotes healing. You know, having my brother and my daddy and Uncle Bobby here, they'll, they'll attest to this. You know, we used to, you know, spread salt in the chicken house. And we get disease, you know, something you got to can't get rid of. And all the chickens are dying. My God, you know. I'm, we I had dreams about them burning down too, but I've always had a penchant for setting stuff on fire if I got frustrated, but anyway. But no, we put salt in there on that bare ground and after we cleaned out the manure and tried to kill all that stuff, right? Purify. And the ancient Romans, here again, time and place, Jesus talking, what's in these people's minds, how do they think? The Romans believed that salt was the purest of all things because it came from the purest of all elements, the sun and the sea. And so here again, Jesus is really, here again, like Luke said in the voice translation, get the deeper meaning. He's saying way more than just one little word. I mean, pregnant. I mean, Jesus, pregnant. His word's pregnant with meaning and depth and revelation and application. And so if Christians... Me and you are to be the salt of the earth. We're supposed to be an example of purity. Hmm? Holding high standards of purity in thought, word, and deed. Right? That includes knowing which bathroom to use. Okay. Our presence, everybody say presence ought to have a purifying effect in the world around us, and our presence should promote healing. You know, one of the things I talk to the pastoral students about 
is this thing I call the ministry of presence. I mean, we don't always, even especially on your job, let's, let's get practical. Is that okay? You know, I didn't come to fluff you up. Uh, you know, it's people don't always need a sermon, especially on your job, right? You know, you don't need to show up, you know, every time somebody's got a crisis, you know, like Bible man, here I come to save the day. You got your Bible verse. A lot of times, it's the ministry of presence. Why? Because I carry something. I'm salty. And, and, and where I go, you, you get close to me, you're going to get salty. Huh? Ministry of presence. Walking into the hospital where there's fear and worry. You bring hope, help, and healing. Not with a bunch of words, but with your presence. You know, it was said of Smith Wigglesworth, British great apostle of faith, that when he would walk on a train in those days, behind him people would fall out of their seat and hit their knees and said, my God, man, you convict, you convict me of my sins. And he ain't said a word. All he did was walk down the aisle. That's salty. <laughs> and here's one. You might, not, you might reject this, but that's okay. Let the ignorant be ignorant still. Poison. Salt's poison. Huh? I mean, there's some things it'll kill. Slugs, grass, weeds. I mean, go to the ocean. They don't nothing grow around there on the beach except for something like salt. Right? And in the ancient times, you, you can find it even in the Old Testament scriptures. They would they would scatter, or they, the Bible would say they would sow salt into their enemies' fields. Abimelech did that in the Old Testament. That's just mean. <laughs> Why? So the fields wouldn't grow, so nothing would grow. It wouldn't produce. Scatter salt. Kill stuff. And I want to say this about that. When true Christianity, true Christ-likeness is sown into our world, our culture, our homes, our families, our government, they some things will start dying. Hmm? Some misgender ideology and worship in the trees. And I mean, you know, they'll they'll offer our they'll offer all of us up on the alt, green altar of Mother Earth for their religion. Hmm? Right? Don't look at me like that. With some salty people in places of authority, when people start thinking straight, some of that stupid stuff will start dying. And we'll start knowing there is a God in heaven. And this nation was founded huh, as a Christian nation. But my stuff's got to die. And it's our responsibility. I don't mean to be too accusatory this morning, but you want to know why the world's in such, our country's in such shape as in, it's the church's fault. It's our fault. Because we think we can relegate ourselves to the four walls of a place like this and not involve ourselves in business or politics or uh, anything else, well, you let the devil take it over. Salt produces thirst. Salt creates a thirst for water. You, I mean, you know, too much salt, I mean, you know, you're going to want something to drink. And we should have an ability, we should have that characteristic in our lives 
that creates a thirst for Jesus in the hearts of the people around us. They, our lives should cause the world around us to thirst for what we actually have to offer, and it's not just salt, it's the water of life. Jesus said in John 7, 38, He who believes in me, as Scripture said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. You carrying on the inside of you rivers of living water, and the river's not for you, the river's for others. Jesus also talked in John about a well of salvation in you springing up to everlasting life. That's for you, the river's for others. And if you live a salty life, they'll be thirsty for what you have on the inside of you. And we ought to never give anyone that the cause to say, if that's a Christian, then I don't want to be one. I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm, I'm transparent. You know, my wife and my mother says too much so. <laughs> but I don't know no other way to be. But it was one of the turning points for me because I lived a backslid life for a number of years. Hmm? I'm, I thank God I that I gave my heart to Jesus at Gaskin Springs Campground over in Douglas in that, in that tabernacle, Methodist, you know, when they knew which bathroom to use. But, you know, I, I went, we, we, we were, Methodists were Armenia, so we believe in backsliding and practice it. Right, Edie? Yeah. No. So I backslid. Do I know Jesus? Yeah, I know him. I just keep him at arm's length. Right? And one night, me and some of my buddies, before the days of crew cab trucks, these four of us piled up in the front seat of the pickup, huh? riding around, sharing a bottle. Passing it down, passing it back. And, you know, I don't know, inevitably, you know, we're getting around talking about church. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> huh? Four drunks talking about church. And I'll never forget long day I lived. We was over here on Lapal River. And uh, one of them said, why I won't go to church for? Tony goes every Sunday and look at him. He's living just like us. I mean, even in my state that night, that went through me like a knife. And that began my journey back. I thought, wow. But then you think about how we live in the world. Promotes flavor. Salt promotes flavor. Glory to God. I mean, salt brings out the best flavor in food. Can I get a witness? I mean, there's some foods better off not eating it all if they don't have no salt. I mean, I like Chick-fil-A's waffle fries, but not without salt. And sometimes, you know, I feel like we got some health food expert back there in the kitchen. They don't put enough salt on it. A good steak? No, I don't need you. Heinz 57, you ate one of your ketchup. I told a waitress over the other day, she's offered me all that. I said, I don't need any of that unless you mess up my steak. <laughs> I just need some salt. That's all I need. It'll bring out the flavor of that steak. Good, medium, rare. I'm about to start slobbering up here. But our lives are supposed to be that way. What Jesus is saying. And, and bring out the flavor of the world around us because as bad as we may think it is, the goodness of God's everywhere. It's in creation, it's in people, and we're supposed to bring that out. And that's the way the message translates that 13th verse. 
salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors of this earth. And then I like this, Psalm 24, verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and its fullness, the world and those who dwell therein. This place don't all belong to the devil. God's goodness, the flavors of him are everywhere. And if we can conduct ourselves correctly, we, we magnify, we bring that out. And it's the goodness of God that leads men to repentance. We're to bring out the best flavors of God's creation to his children. I, I, this, this is kind of connecting these last two points. Oliver Holmes said this. He was quoted as saying uh, that he might have entered the ministry if certain clergymen he knew didn't act like undertakers. <laughs> People need to discover the joy of the Christian life. I mean, you ought to be the happiest person at your workplace, right? Because you got Jesus on you, right? Go in there looking like you got COVID, you know, or something. Thinking that's being pious. Last one, everybody said, glory to God. <laughs> Salt preserves. Salt preserves rot and decay and, and, and you know, tamp down odor. I mean, you know, before refrigeration, salt was the only means of preserving some food, especially meat. And Jesus is telling us something here, that the world around us is in a state of decay. And it needs something to keep it from rotting and stinking. And right now, some of it stinks to me. <laughs> Not in here. <laughs> no, that something is the church. That something is me and you. I mean, think about Sodom and Gomorrah. Hmm? I mean, you ought to think when you read the Bible. It'll help you. And ask questions. Use your imagination. God give it to you for a purpose. In Sodom and Gomorrah in Genesis 19, that they, both of those wicked cities could have been saved if, they, if God could have found the righteous influence of ten salty people. But it wasn't there. Now don't go out of here and make this a doctrine, but you know, let me know what happened to Lot's wife. She looked back, and what happened to her? Turned into a pillar of salt. God's like, that's what I was looking for. It's kind of like an exclamation point. <laughs> right? Just put an exclamation mark on that. This is what I was looking for. When children ask in the future, tell them, be salty. Huh. I think it, so it is in our country, in our world. I'm convinced that the presence and the prayers, the influence of salty believers has done more to make, to preserve this nation than anything else. I believe it's the righteousness of God's people that has made America great again. Great. 
I didn't mean to say again. <laughs> oh, glory to God. Yeah, I'll never be back here. Yeah, I had to be more careful up north, but this kind of, I think I'm okay. No, <laughs> it's salty Christians that makes our country get great and keeps our country from being judged. In Proverbs chapter 14, verse 34, it says, Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Righteousness, saltiness in our way we're applying it. We are to preserve this nation by righteous living, righteous praying, and righteous preaching. It's our responsibility. You know, Jesus is coming back. But before he does, things is going to get a whole lot worse. But in between there is this thing called the rapture of the church. We're leaving. My short version of eschatology, we get raptured out, meet the Lord in the air, go to heaven, eat supper, call the marriage supper of the Lamb, saddle our horses, and come back with Jesus and wage war on the Antichrist. Seven-year supper. It's going to be a lot. going to be crawfish and catfish and <laughs> pork chop, all the stuff the Jews couldn't eat. It's all going to be there. But, you know, if you know your Bible at all, there's the Antichrist. And he doesn't rise to power until the church is out of here. And in Paul's writings, I'm going to read this from the Amplified and the NIV, and I'm about done here. He says this, Amplified Bible, renders it this way, 2 Thessalonians 2, 7. For the mystery of lawlessness, talking about the Antichrist, that hidden principle of rebellion against constituted authority is already at work in the world. In other words, the spirit of the Antichrist is at work in our culture even now. But that one, that, that, that leader, that world leader that will embody that has not arisen to power. There's another one of them buts, big but. But, it's already at work in the world, but it is restrained. Only until he who restrains is taken out of the way. Well, I'm here today this morning that he is the church. The he is not the Holy Spirit. Because there's going to be people accept Christ during the tribulation. John saw him in the book of Re when he writes Revelation. Those souls that had been slain, he saw them under the altar. They come out of the tribulation. Well, I'm telling you, you ain't getting born again if the Spirit of God's not here in the earth working. We're leaving, he's staying. So what's holding back the Antichrist from fully? Because, I mean, you're reading the Old Testament. It talks about, about him. He seeks to change time and law. He wants to change the season. He wants to change the law. He wants to mess up God's timing. There's one thing keeping him from doing that before it's time, and that's us. If, if you're salty. NIV says, for this secret power of lawlessness is already at work, but the one who now holds it back will continue to do so till he's taken out of the way. That's the rapture. We're, we're preserving. Come on back, uh, Tommy, and play something. Get me in the mood. Quit. And when you think about it, some Christians are like Jonah. They seem happy at the prospect of God judging somebody. 
or some place or some people, you know. I mean, I get so sick every time there's a hurricane, you know. Hey, some prophet will jump up. God's a judgment. Well, that means all the bad people live in New Orleans or something. I mean, give me a break. No, assault of the earth, that's not our job or our concern. Judgment. We've been given a different ministry. I love the old living Bible, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Paul explains what it is. Verse 17, beginning there. When someone becomes a Christian, he becomes a brand new person inside. He's not the same anymore. A new life has begun. All these new things are from God who brought us back to himself through what Christ Jesus did. And God, here it is, has given us the privilege of urging everyone to come into his favor and be reconciled to him. For God was in Christ restoring the world to himself, no longer counting men's sins against them, but blotting them out. This is the wonderful message he has given us to tell others. We are Christ's ambassadors. King James says we are, have been given the ministry of reconciliation. Christ's ambassadors. He wants us salty. We've been given the ministry and the responsibility of reconciliation and restoration not damnation. I'll just be honest. I want my life to be salty. What about you? I want, I want Jesus to see my life as useful for his kingdom purposes in the earth today. What about you? So, you know, if I could say anything this morning, let's be worth our salt. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website at anchorfaithbaldosta.com. There you'll find our locations and service times, ministries that are available for you and your family. You can even give financially in support of the ministry. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Anchor Faith Church podcast.